G'day and welcome to the Head Shepherd Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Ferguson, CEO here at Next in Agri. I've worked in livestock research, farming and breeding for over 25 years. I've been very fortunate to see a lot of amazing places and meet a lot of wonderful people throughout that career. I'm reminded every day of just how awesome the livestock industry really is. It really is a great pleasure to bring you the stories and wisdom of the people in the industry via the Head Shepherd Podcast. This podcast is supported by our good friends at Allflex and MSD Animal Health, who are guided by the one mission of the science of healthy and productive animals. For these two companies now combined, they have one of the widest product portfolios in Australasia with a comprehensive lineup from the Cooper's range of animal health products through to the ID and monitoring solutions that, that Allflex are famous for. Their products are all backed up by their exceptional service, and we're thrilled to continue to have their support in bringing you this podcast each week. If I could ask a couple of small favours before we get underway this week, if you could rate this podcast in the app that you're listening to it in, that would be fantastic. Also, if you know someone that you think would enjoy what we do here, please share the show links with them. Finally, if you are listening to this podcast, you're probably a big fan of livestock farming. We're setting up the Next Gen Agri Hub to be the home of livestock farming conversations. Check it out at thehub.nextgenagri.com. Okay, it's time for this week's guest. Welcome back to Hedge Shepherd, Season 8 is rattling on. Awesome, we've got some fantastic guests on and, and another great one this week. Welcome Nathan Scott from Achieve Ag. Thanks for having me. Awesome, Nathan. I thought we might, uh, as we do, we start with a bit of backstory. So I guess, yeah, your your story until until now in terms of where Achieve Ag came from and your background before that. Yeah, well, I actually uh, I grew up in Geelong, so not on a farm. Uh, all of my relatives, both mum and dad's side, were all on farms. Uh, so mum's side were dairy farmers, dad's side were, were sheep and cropping. Uh, and I spent every one of my school holidays trying to be on one of those farms from when I was very young. And progressively, um, when I was about 14, I, I started my own little farmhand business, which was an attempt to try and get me more work locally. And, um, and I ended up working on a couple of farms just out of Geelong. And... Got some lucky breaks along the way, including um, a chance to relief manage a property just on the outskirts of Geelong, which um, wasn't big, but as a, as a 19-year-old while I was still at uni, I was looking after the place doing all the day-to-day stuff um, on a property that had a 1,000 crossbred ewes and some Murray Gray cattle. So it was a hell of an experience for, for me while I was finishing uh, my uni or trying to finish my uni degree at, at Dookie through Melbourne University. So that was a, a good launching pad for me, and then I had to do placement as part of my uni, and I went through Landmark, working in their animal health and nutrition and merchandise area, which was, again, a fortunate position for me to land. Um, I learned the art of, of selling, so from a consulting point of view now, I understand how all of that works, and I've, I've sold farmers things that they didn't know they needed. Um, and I've, I've understood that side of the counter, which was has proven quite useful now. And I went back to managing after that. And I took a property that was a small frame merino fine wool flock to self-replacing composites over um, a six-year period. And from there, I went into consulting uh, and worked with with Mike Stevens and Charlie DeFagley and Jim Shovelton um, within Mike Stevens and Associates. And from there, I, I started my own and have been in this business, Achieve Ag Solutions, for the last, uh, I think we're coming up to eight years now. Yeah, cool. So you and Narelle, your wife, are both uh, involved in that business? 
Yeah, so Narelle keeps the wheels on while I'm busy running around the countryside. Um, pretty important partnership in that in the business, and uh, yeah, it's the only way that it would work, really. Yeah, cool. So, yeah, lots of things we can talk about. You obviously do a lot of public speaking, a lot of motivation type, type public speaking, as well as, I guess, hands-on sort of practical advice. So, I guess, typically, what does a Chief Ag do these days in terms of sort of direct hands-on consulting? Uh, so we work with a range of producers. So um, I don't know, I haven't actually worked out what the count is right at the moment. It'll be 25 or 30 producers that we have ongoing contact with throughout the year. Uh, and that is well, the, the technical on-farm stuff. It's, it's looking at where the low-hanging fruit is within their businesses uh, and, and applying the latest science and technology. And, and some of it's even actually just applying old science and technology. It's just putting it in a practical way that means something to that business. So a lot of work on lamb survival in particular uh, because that's obviously one area where there's still huge scope for improvement and then just really ramming home some of the genetic selection concepts and, and understanding the idea of buying your, your genetics with more information. So it's that that's the sort of technical hands-on stuff. It's, it's interesting because I say to a lot of people, Technical information gets me in the door, but a lot of what we do is actually working on people issues. So it's not usually a lack of knowledge, it's often a lack of application, and that's either because of differences between people within the business. That could be husband and wife, father and son, father and daughter, owner and manager. Um, Sometimes it's just our role is really just showing people that there is a midpoint there that is actually usually the right answer. But while people within a business keep butting heads over a particular topic, and can only see it from their own perspective. Sometimes it just takes a third party to show them that they're actually both right, but here, what if we approach it this way? And um, and that's so often there's a fair bit of negotiating and, and just mediating that actually comes with the role and it's not necessarily all technical information. Yeah, I think, yeah, I couldn't agree more. A lot of it is yeah, helping, helping people navigate change, but doing that through, yeah, helping them. I guess, get the mindset right and their approach to dealing with each other right. I guess uh, both of us are pretty passionate about where the livestock sector should and can go and and yeah, maybe we have different, I don't know, we've probably got the same theories about how that should go. But what are your, what do you think the barriers to people sort of implementing the best practices and some of those, as you say, some of those are 30, 40, 50 years old but still probably lightly used compared to what they should be or what they would be in maybe an industry like the dairy industry? Yeah, I, I think there's a couple of real challenges for the industry. One, the main one I think is that um, everyone keeps complaining that farmers don't change, but the reality is a lot of the information is still being delivered to farmers in exactly the same way it was 50, 60, 70 years ago, as in print out a fact sheet and hand it to someone and expect that they're going to read it and it'll mean something to them. And, well, I think we've got enough evidence to say that's not going to work. The other thing is I think we get... I think we get a little complacent in the way information is delivered in that people assume that if we put a profit proposition in front of someone, in other words, if you do this, you'll make this much more money, that is all they need in terms of motivation to get them to make change. And again, we know that's not the case because we've got 100 years of evidence of that. I wouldn't still be talking to people about fertiliser if it was that simple. We've we've had plenty of profit propositions that show them Add fertiliser, you'll you'll maintain or increase stocking rate and their key drivers of profit. If it was as simple as just putting that argument in front of people all the time, we wouldn't still be having all the conversations. So I think a large challenge for the industry is to 
is to get with the times in the way that information is delivered to producers and finding ways to actually to deliver messages in, in, in different methods that are actually going to appeal to a wider audience because we know Coca-Cola never come out with, with one ad. They come out with an ad campaign, and that's because it's going to appeal to a range of different people in different ways, and that's what we need to be doing. We need to be delivering information in different ways so that it, it means something to people. I think that's that's certainly putting sort of the, the heat back on the service sector, but I think also from a from a producer point of view, complacency is a real issue for us. I think we've had a significant issue with people being very comfortable. And um, right at the moment, we've we've seen some pretty remarkable pricing across lamb and beef and, and that unfortunately breeds even more complacency because you haven't needed to be terribly good at what you do to still make reasonable money. And so uh, I see part of my role is to keep pushing. What we should be doing in these times when prices are good is is making the most of it and making sure that we're well set up to capitalise on that because we know that times won't always be as good as this. Um, so there are challenges across the board on that front. I think um, a lot of it, though, sits with the way we deliver information. Yeah, really good points. Completely agree. The, I guess we're going to have – there's going to be a number of listeners out there that are – it's a Monday morning for them and they're listening to this podcast and they're – they know they need to. They know they need to do better. I don't think anyone gets out of bed to kind of be mediocre at what they do. What do you reckon the steps are that they should take or could take to to move to a to a position where they actually might be starting to move the envelope on on that property? Uh, the, well, the first step in in wanting to be better is to realise that the only way to be better is to make a change, because if we just keep doing the same things, we keep getting the same results. So. The, the first step is understanding the desire to be better and then looking for, well, if, if that is the case, what could I change? And I don't think there's enough critical reviewing of existing businesses and existing practices. And that doesn't always require a third party to come in and do it for you. I think often it actually just requires people to stop and, and just review everything, whether it's your lambing date or your calving date or, or the sires or the bloodlines that you're using. I, th- I think having an argument with yourself about why you're currently doing something is a damn good place to start and and actually having to justify it. And it's no different if I go into a business and I start asking questions of, of someone and why they're doing things in a certain way. If I can build a good justification for it, then I'm happy. But I need people to be able to justify why they're doing it at that time or why they're doing it in that way or with that bloodline or those genetics or whatever it might be. But I think people should be, be doing that critical analysis of their own business uh, every year to look for where are the opportunities for us to be better because it might only be little things that you change each year, but if if, we're, if our ambition is to be better, then then we've got to keep finding those things that we can do differently. The, the risk is, and, and I've had a client say to me this to me once before, is I make them perpetually unhappy because as soon as we get to a, a certain point, I move the goalposts on them again. But that's what we're there for. That's we are we are striving for excellence. Yeah, really good points. And I think yeah, even that yeah, in any business you've got to be you've got to be moving forward at seven percent inflation. If you're not moving forward, you're going backwards. Uh, and so yeah, the the need to always do better is unfortunately a bit of the human condition. Really, uh, one of the things that I think is a really interesting point that you've discussed at a few roadshows we've done together is how much is enough. Like the sort of well, I guess the notion is you've got to be doubling the property every twenty years to sort of 
to so that you can handle succession and those sort of things. But as you rightly say, like what is what is the end point? Is are we just growing for growth's sake, or are we are we growing to to set up the next generation? Yeah, I'm interested to, on your commentary around that. Yeah, and, and to some degree, I am a walking contradiction because on one hand, I am pushing people to always uh, improve their business and be bigger and better. And on the other hand, I'm also asking that question of how much is enough because uh, what we don't want to be doing is farming with regret. And I, I don't think anyone has gone to their grave wishing they'd worked more. Um, the reality is whenever we spend any time um, talking to children, and whenever any survey work is done on children, um, what would they like more of? It's never toys. It's never any of those things. It's always more time with parents, more time with grandparents. And so that's a, a risk for all of us because we get caught up in our day-to-day, growing the business, growing the farm, trying to buy the neighbour, all of those things. My question is ultimately, though, what are we? what is our end point? What are, what are we actually striving for? Because we can get caught on the hamster wheel and just keep going and going and going and then get to the end and realise we missed out on a whole lot of things that actually were, were meant a lot to us. Um, so that could be travel, it could be holidays, it could be time with, with kids, grandkids, um, it could be golf, fishing, any of those things. What we don't want to do is get to our last days and look back and think, I should have just done more of those things that I love. Because at the end of the day, I think if we sat down and asked most people what are they aiming for, I'm not 100% sure that people have a clear picture in their mind. And ultimately, we're all trying to make sure that our kids are well set up. Um, And generally speaking, the aim is for every generation to be better positioned than the previous generation. But I would still ask that question of of how much is enough? Should we be giving up everything that we love in, in this endless pursuit of more when the reality is that the kids are going to be well set up, particularly within most of these farm businesses that we're dealing with, the kids are going to be really well set up. So it's just a case of, of, again, taking that time to stop and review. It's not just about reviewing the business. It's about reviewing our own lives and and making sure we are enjoying the things that we love. Yeah, really good points. And I think, I think I mean, holidays is probably, probably number one on that list. And I know that you've just uh, taken the plunge and chucked the family in the, in the car and Towed the caravan halfway around Australia, or most of the way around Australia. I guess that's one thing that us in well, in all business, but particularly in agriculture, are pretty poor at. Uh, stuck in that kind of rut that haven't got staff or haven't got anyone at home I trust, so I can't go away from the farm for more than a short bit of the time. And I think it's the same in our business. And I was it was refreshing to hear your story around that it was really easy to sort of get into holiday mode and get out there and really enjoy spending time with the family and exploring this great country of ours. You've uh, obviously had a good trip. Yeah, so we, we managed to, it wasn't easily done, but we managed to get away for six weeks, um, which is the longest break I've ever had because I went straight from high school working all holidays into uni, working all holidays into work. Uh, so I think the longest amount of time off I've probably ever had is a couple of weeks. Uh, and so it was also on the back of, an incredibly busy time coming out of COVID where everything that we had committed to over a two-year period, a lot of it happened in four months leading up to that. Um, so I was actually genuinely cooked by the time I started driving north. Uh, it's the easiest I've ever slipped into holiday mode. Uh, partly it was because I had I had done the work to clear the schedule as well. 
I had tried to get almost everything done that I that I needed to have done before we drove away. But it was one hell of an experience and one that the kids will never forget. It was six weeks of exploring Kakadu and Litchfield National Park and, and Darwin and all of the hot springs that you could possibly find across the top end and into Queensland. And um, it was... It was one. It was an example within our own business of what I talk to people um, that we deal with, and that is, if I was to get hit by a bus, the work would find a way to either stop, wait, or or someone would find a way to get it done without me. And holidays really shouldn't be any different. And it's the same on the farm. If someone gets injured, then the farm goes on. People find a way, but holidays are always dealt with differently. And part of it is, and I'm as guilty as anyone on this front, is is our loss of control if we give it to someone else. And it might not get done exactly the same way that you would do it, but as long as it's getting done, as long as you get home and everything's okay, then then it is possible. It just takes some planning and um, and some work to make it happen. But I'm I'm someone who it needs to go into my calendar at the start of the year. The holidays get blocked out because otherwise I just tend to keep filling the calendar up. Uh, but as soon as it's in there, then it just becomes part of the plan. We're we're planning for this amount of time off. I've got to make it work. It, as I say, it wasn't easy, but we managed to do it. And now um, the plan is to make sure we do it in future years as well for maybe not quite as long, but, but a decent trip while the kids are at the right age too. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, guaranteed it won't happen if it doesn't get locked in the calendar. And that'll be true for every everyone listening. That if it's not put in there and not made a priority or not yeah, actually blocked out in the calendar, then there's always there's never any shortage of jobs on a farm. There's always stuff that can be done. And and I think we often think, oh, we just can't get away. We haven't got time to get away. But the mindset you come back off, even having three days away, taking a long weekend and getting off farm, the mindset you come back with and your ability to actually get stuff done is so much clearer and so much easier. And often you have those while well, you doing something that's not related to work at all but you think oh geez maybe i should shift that or do that or it's a different way of thinking about that so amazing how the how much more effective the brain is when it's had a bit of a spell yeah and i think i think we underestimate just how easily we can get bogged down in working in the business and that time away gives us the opportunity often to reflect on the business rather than just constantly being caught in it and the other part of it is is Often the answer I get when, I, when I'm presenting or I'm talking to clients and I, I bring this up, when's your next holiday? What have you got booked? Uh, people will often say, oh, I love the farm though. The farm is my holiday. My question though is, is it the same for the rest of your family? Does everyone else love it as much as, as you do? Because uh, we can all at times be very selfish and, and while we mightn't necessarily appreciate the value that we get from the freshen up, we should at least acknowledge the fact that the rest of the family might want to be away from the farm. And like you say, whether it's a long weekend, um, a short break or an extended trip, I think everyone benefits from from actually getting away from the farm occasionally. Yeah, very true. The one thing I often talk about and when I start my talks, even when I'm meant to be talking about genetics, is uh, is the mindset across agriculture and, and probably the culture. It's not necessarily ag-based. Ag it's more of a... It's a bit of an Aussie Kiwi sort of culture where no one likes to stand out, like no one likes to celebrate that they're good at stuff. I often ask a crowd early on and is, yeah, what are you good at? And to try and get someone to answer that crowd is, is a real struggle. Uh, I think, and I'm sure you're going to agree with me, that there's a there's a real need in our sector to celebrate the, ourselves and, and the things that we're doing well. 
rather than sort of otherwise we're sort of this destined to be average where we happy to kick someone because they're not good at stuff or kick them because they're too good at stuff or they're cocky or whatever there's yeah we really need to as a sector get get right into celebrating success and a mindset of 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 success and what that can look like for us yeah absolutely and like within all of our groups it's it's we go with the mindset of you we want to celebrate the victories and commiserate the stuff ups uh there's two parts to it one i think if you stuff something up why let other people do it as well don't let other people make the same mistake if the the more open we can be with some of these things and share these obviously within a safe environment where you with people you're comfortable with but the more we can we can share those those stuff ups as well is is important for people but certainly celebrating those victories the 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 big achievements the people that are doing well the risk is the tall poppy syndrome the um, the risk is and i think there's a little historically there's a problem that often the people celebrated um, whether it's in some of the print media and those things, the details get lost either in translation or they get a little exaggerated or um, it goes to print slightly differently or there's enough reasons for people to look at it and say, oh, he's not really achieving that or she's not really doing that much. Or I think having some robust systems around being able to actually demonstrate this is what this farm is achieving or this is what these people have achieved, um, I think that would give uh, a little more credibility to some of those sorts of programs as well to be able to say this is this is what someone's actually achieved and it is important to have those people out there because often um, it's the quiet achievers the ones who won't put their head up that are they're the ones really smacking out the, the good results and they're also not the ones that end up on representative boards or or any of those places as well farmer organizations because they're busy being successful um, and that's a that's a Something I think we also need to work around as well is to try and get the really successful people more involved in some of these industry positions as well. Yeah, yeah, good points. Um, a couple of other sort of strings to your bow. Uh, one is guitar playing, as we had a few jamming jam sessions when we were cruising around uh, South Australia, and, and the second one is training people on public speaking. You're obviously one of the top-end public speakers getting around in, in our game and um, obviously take a bit of joy out of helping people present their story well yeah well both actually uh terrify me which is sort of this is where i'm again a walking contradiction but um when i first started at uni was the first time i really had to do any public speaking and i would have i would have jumped out of an airplane rather than do that um I, i was so terrified of public speaking and then progressively over time with some good guidance from people and and building some confidence, getting some some good constructive feedback, I became more comfortable with it. And then it became um, it becomes a little addictive, actually, where you when when you know that people are understanding the message that you're putting out there, and and they get the benefits out of it, then you actually get that adrenaline rush out of it as well. So it's progressively become something that I actually love doing. And actually, it was interesting during COVID. I probably didn't realise how much I loved it until I wasn't able to do it. Here in Victoria, we had all events stop for the best part of eighteen months, and uh, it wasn't it wasn't until that happened that I probably fully appreciated how much I do enjoy the public speaking and presenting. Uh, and yeah, more recently we've we've been running um, some public speaking and presentation training programs for people because I, I think, like I said earlier, with this this issue with the way we deliver information to people. I think as an industry, we can improve significantly in the way that people do present information. 
And a lot of that is around actually changing from just putting bare facts up on on a screen and graphs and, and things, but actually being able to build some narrative around it that means something to people and just just putting more thought into the way we're going to deliver the information rather than just getting up there and doing it. One of the other risks is that we often put scientists up to deliver the information and there's not um, it's not their favourite thing to do for a start for a lot of them um, and they spend their time thinking about the science and not about the, the presentation. So I think that's um, why I sort of I got involved in that presentation training because the exciting thing for me is out of the few courses that we've run, we've seen people go from um, being a reasonable presenter to actually just that extra thought and understanding a few more of the concepts around it to improving significantly, and that just changes the way the information is being delivered to the industry, and that's good for everyone. That's that's good for farmers. They're getting better information delivery to them. And on the guitar, I sort of had conquered my fears a little of the presentation training, and there is nothing more terrifying than playing guitar and opening your mouth in front of a crowd to uh, and hoping the words come out. So I, I guess I somehow feed off the pushing myself to do things that are terrifying, but um, it is more terrifying than just the public speaking and presentations. Yeah, it'll be, yeah, it's certainly something that I haven't embraced and I'm not like to do anytime soon. The, uh, for those people out there who are keen to do a bit of training, have you got something coming up sometime this year or? Uh, yeah, so later in the year we will be running some presentation um, courses again. So at the moment, um, having just been away for the period of time I have, I'm just trying to uh, catch back up on everything that uh, – that we've got to get done at the moment, and then we will be. So um, particularly in the in November, I think it'll be uh, mid to late November, we'll have a couple of them running. So they're only a, a small workshop because uh, we like to actually, it, it's pretty intense across the, the day. So it's a one-day workshop. It's pretty intense in the way that we can show um, people some of their nervous tics and things. We all have those. Most people don't realise what it is. Mine used to be scratching my nose when I was nervous and I was presenting. Didn't have an itchy nose, but I always used to grab at my nose. Um, everyone has something that they do. And so it's it's finding all of those things as well, just so that people are aware of them. So it is quite intense. That's why we only have usually five or six people in each workshop um, and it goes for the full day. So we will run um, two or three of them throughout the back half of November. Cool. So we'll put your contact details and website and stuff in the show notes so people can find you or they can Google your name or achieve ag and, and find you and get, get access to those, no doubt. Yep. Uh, one of the f- questions when I remember to ask it is <laughs> the final question is normally <laughs> um, the best part of your job or the favourite story of your job or favourite day on the job. And I didn't give you any warning on that one, but I'm sure you'll be able to tell me tell me what it is. Uh, well, I've, got a, I've got a couple actually because, as I said, the, the presenting and public speaking uh, is something that I – I now actually genuinely love doing. Uh, but otherwise, outside of that, it's the one-on-one client work where we implement a plan where particularly if they've been achieving reasonable results, but generally there's a reason why someone gets a, a consultant involved in their business. And uh, for me, it's that it's when the plan comes together and we've moved a business significantly in terms of their results. So there's a couple of businesses in particular that I look back now that we might have been, I've, I've personally been working with them for 10 or 12 years and and the the results they're achieving now compared to what they were the day we started is, is remarkable and 
probably if we had have sat down at the start and, and written down what we wanted to achieve, I don't think we would have expected to get this far. And I think that's the exciting part is um, sometimes you don't know exactly where you're going until you get there. Uh, and particularly in terms of lamb survival and some of these composite flocks that we work with in particular, um, they the, the survival that they're achieving now, um, we wouldn't have predicted in our wildest dreams. That's pretty exciting day to day. Yeah, fantastic. And, yeah, I think we all all of us end up sharing similar sort of favourite parts of this sort of gig. It's it's really working with those people to achieve change and, and see it see it happen and see what it, not just in terms of bank account or whatever it's it's the it's the whole change in the in the in the business and the and the people and how they just just sort of walk around with a skip in their step really because they're they're nailing it what nailing things that they previously thought were kind of impossible or were just part of the part of the deal was you had 30 percent of your twin lambs dying that was just how it's going to be but um yeah we know that you get things right that doesn't that's not how it has to be well and it, it just on on that as a as a uh, single point is I think people often expect that it is only about trying to make more money and that's not the reality for a lot of people. It's it's not just about, and this comes back to the point I made earlier about how we deliver information, but for a lot of people it's not about making more money. It might be about making the same money but really simplifying the business. And and I had an example the other day of, of a client that said, geez, our lambing is so much easier these days. It's so much less stressful. They're not pulling lambs. They're not got that hopeless feeling of, of seeing dead lambs around the paddocks. Um, and it's not, their, their uh, happiness around the improvement in their business is not about money. It's it's about the feeling they have. Um, it's some of the moral obligation of, of looking after animals as well as you possibly can and just the, the general uh, mental health that comes with, with knowing things are going well um, throughout lambing. They used to dread lambing and now they don't. And to me, that's a, that's a big win. Yeah, and that's a... Fantastic spot to to end this podcast. I reckon that I reckon that that might be a little sound grab that we that we use again. But um, appreciate your time, Nathan. I'm on the side of the road. My laptop's about to go flat, so we're going to pull it up here. But uh, yeah, really appreciate your time and and yeah, appreciate your, what you do for the industry. And look forward to catching up on on a road trip sometime soon. Yeah, no worries. And uh, don't hold back too much on your singing. You weren't that bad that night. <laughs> oh, there's video evidence that suggests otherwise. <laughs> thanks for having me thanks for listening to the Head Shepherd Podcast if you enjoy listening in each week please take a moment to subscribe or even give us a review that would be fantastic and if you do get a moment to share it with your networks we'd also love that so that we can share these great stories with more people thanks again to our friends at Allflex for sponsoring this episode Allflex are wonderful supporters of the Australian and New Zealand livestock industries combined now with MSD Animal Health they offer one of New Zealand and Australia's largest livestock product portfolios focused on animal health and management all backed up by that exceptional service. We really do enjoy our long-term association with Orflex and thank them very much for, for again supporting us with bringing this podcast to you.